We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. As you leave this morning from this place, as I mentioned, we would like each of you to have a copy of this packet. So they'll be in the foyer. They're right by the door. And uh, we would like one per family to go out. Uh, We don't have enough for tonight if you take more than that. And then we also need you then to, if you come back tonight, to bring it with you. If you forget, we'll probably have some, but it would be very helpful if you bring it back with you tonight to the meeting. The reason that we're going to give them to you ahead of time is because it's full of some reports and some statistics and some things of our year. I hope as you read through that, it will cause gratitude to well up in your heart. It may cause you to have a couple of questions that you may want to ask tonight, so taking it ahead of time gives you opportunity to... To formulate those questions and we certainly that's part of why we gather together there's an accountability in that gathering together it's full of uh, financial reports that you'll want to peruse and, and may have questions about tonight so that's the reason we're giving it to you so you have it ahead of time bring it with you tonight on the front of it is what we're going to deal with this morning um, I'm grateful f- for Jill Palmer's help Uh, in the last weeks of developing a logo for us, and that is at the top of this report. We'll talk a bit about that in just a few minutes. And then underneath that logo is a vision statement that we have uh, put in crystallized form for us as a church fellowship, as a leadership body. To be honest with you this morning, I hope nothing that I say to you is new to you if you've been around here very long. I don't intend to say anything very new to you this morning. What I want to do is put what we've been saying, particularly from the book of Philippians and other places, in a crystallized form. Because we're going to reference not only the passage in 2 Corinthians 4 that was read and is on the screen this morning, but we're also going to look at Philippians chapter 1, and we've been walking through Philippians. And so, again, the intent is not new stuff, but to put it in a crystallized form. And we have a vision statement. I'd like to put that up if we have it this morning on the screen. That's what appears on the front of that cover and what I want to speak from this morning as we as we begin to talk this morning now to you. As I mentioned, the logo is, is, uh, is from Jill's hands and her gifts to us and the time she spent in that was, was not a small amount and I'm grateful for her help in that. My, my hope is actually that that particular logo and statement will hang on our wall here at some point in the near future. So that it's before us and there as we can look at it. And people who may come into our body will see what we're about. But let me unpack that to you this morning a bit. We don't have enough time tonight to do everything and do that as well. And it's good for all of us to hear that, whether you can come back this evening or not. But the vision state this morning 
as I said, entails two different passages. I'd like for you to turn to Philippians 1 with me. We've been there. We're walking through Philippians. My intent is we will finish that up in the next few weeks. And by fall, we'll move into to a new arena of study and a new book to look through and walk through, a new series. But let me take you back to Philippians chapter 1 because it's in the heart of Philippians chapter 1 that much of this statement, I think, flows out of, particularly the first part of that statement where it says, Richland exists to magnify Jesus Christ. That particular statement is rooted in Philippians chapter 1. We've talked about it a lot, but let me reiterate to you Paul's words in Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 20. We pick it up in the middle of, of, the, of the chapter, but this is what he says. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored. This is the ESV. If you have the NIV, it probably says exalted. Another term for that that means the same as both of those is magnified. That Christ might be honored, exalted, or magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live in the flesh, that means faithful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is far more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that, you, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now let me talk about this passage a bit and make sure again we see there are two parallel passages here. Two parallel thoughts. In fact, there's a thought... And then there's a thought, and then there's another thought. So there's really three parallel thoughts, but two of those mean the same thing in that passage. Paul is basically saying, I want to magnify Christ in my life, either by death or by life. I can do it either way, but it seems as though God is going to help me to stay around. He's going to give me strength to be here. But then he describes what that magnifying will produce, what that magnifying will do for the Philippian people. And what he says it will do as part of that parallel passage in the middle is it will cause them to progress and joy, have joy, more deep joy in the faith. And then at the end of that, you see, you see that I might be magnified, that Christ might be magnified in my body that for your progress and joy in the faith. And then he goes on to say that you might have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus, which is the same thing as magnifying him. That's how we magnify Him, by glorying in Him, by making much of Him. And so both of those passages say the same thing. And the middle of that is the result of that. That's the result that Paul knows magnifying Christ will produce. Now, let me reiterate to you, some some are new, some haven't been here for the whole series. Some of us just need to be reminded of this. And for others, it will just be reinforcing. You already know this, but... What does it mean to magnify Christ? What does he mean that Christ would be honored? We've talked about it often, but remember the illustrations. One of the illustrations is that we're not talking about microscopically magnifying something. Because when you microscopically magnify something, you take something very small and you make it bigger. That's not what magnify in this sense means. It's more like a telescope. 
As you look through a telescope, you see which is immensely large to be bigger in your, because of the telescope. I mean, it is large, it is big, it's what it is, but you're able with a telescope to see it for more of what it really is. And so Paul's desire was that he would not be a microscope to take a small God and make him bigger, as if you could, but to take this God who is wonderfully magnificent and to the best of God's grace in his life, be able by his life to reflect that greatness, that other people would see that greatness because of Paul's life. That's what it means to magnify. Another illustration of that would be, is it's not the idea that God is a balloon. And so Paul wants to blow into this balloon to magnify this balloon and add to this balloon. That's not it. We don't add to God. We don't make Him any more glorious than He is. But the problem is, is His magnificence and His glory is clouded. And the means by which God has chosen to reveal that magnificence is in creation. He certainly said creation. What can be known about God can be clearly seen in creation. But also He's chosen to use the means of His people to have a magnifying effect in the sense of their lives showing how magnificent this God is by the way they relate to Him. And so when Paul says that Christ might be magnified, he's talking about that kind of magnification. Magnify in the sense that we make Him appear to the world as what He really is. Magnificent. Use that word. Then you understand magnify. Magnify and magnificent. Our desire to magnify Him is to show His magnificence to the world. How glorious He really is. The problem is, as I've already said, the problem is people have a sight problem. They have a sight problem. They have a problem seeing that. It's called sin. And God's means is to show it clearly to the world. Now, the way we accomplish it, we want to use his methods. Paul wanted to use his methods. How do we do that? Well, it takes us back a little bit to our book. We want to lift up the gospel. We want to lift it up in the sense of truth. We want to make sure that people understand what the gospel is. That it has to do with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And all that that accomplished. That that act and that life of 33 years, all that Christ did in His coming, in His incarnation, was to provide a righteousness for us that we didn't have. All of that has to do with Him living perfectly what we didn't. And taking that perfection that He accomplished, that finished work that He accomplished, and giving it to us, imputing it to us. We've used that illustration of being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That We want to proclaim that. We want to state that. We want to be clear about that. We don't want there to be any ambiguity. ambiguity uh, no confusion, let's say it that way, in that. We don't want people to get confused about what gospel means. That absolutely they understand what it is. But that's not enough. I think when Paul says that Christ might be magnified either by death or by life, he, he was certainly talking about that gospel. 
It was part of it, that truth. You can't do it without that. You can't do it with a clear announcement of that truth. It has to be clear. But that's not enough. It's not enough to only know that here. There are all kinds of groups that have it down pretty well intellectually. But they're not having any impact in the world. In fact, they're cold. There's more. When Paul says that he might be magnified, he's talking about not only knowing it and understanding it, but treasuring it in your life and in your heart. That we would treasure it in ourselves. We would treasure this gospel. And we would delight in this gospel. That we would live by this gospel. Help me live a life now, Lord, dependent on Your grace. What is that? But the gospel. We need to live all of our life by the gospel. We exist to make Him appear in the world as He really is, magnificent and wonderful. And where that is most clearly seen is in the gospel, but not just intellectually knowing it here, but cherishing it in our hearts. Having a passion about it in our lives. Those two things together are what Paul was declaring. That the good news that we proclaim is first of all good news to us. That's where the whole idea of your progress and joy in the faith. Just understanding it intellectually isn't going to do that. But transferring it to the fact that it is causing us to progress and have a deep joy in our faith is the issue and the key. I pray that God would help us. That is where we need to live. That's why that is going to be part of what is on our wall. Richland exists to magnify Christ by not only understanding the Gospel, not only being able to recount it to somebody else, but to recount it with a deep-seated passion because we treasure it in our own hearts. We treasure it. We live by it. We know what it means to have it at the center continually of our lives. I say often the gospel is for believers. It's for unbelievers. It's the way by which they attain the righteousness of Christ. But it is also the way by which everything else in the Christian life is accomplished that is of any fruit and any value. We need the gospel at the center. So the question is, what will happen? If, if we do that, then what ought that to produce? What ought that to do? What ought to be the overflow of us magnifying Christ? Well, that goes on in that statement this morning that we have. Richland exists to magnify Jesus Christ so that people might see and savor and declare the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now go back down to the end of that statement. You have to understand, we are now turning to 2 Corinthians, if you want to go there, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's why there's two passages that undergird this statement. But we come to treasure the gospel. We come to know it and treasure it and delight in it ourselves so that others might see it and savor it and declare it as well. I believe with all of my heart 
But that is the means by which God has chosen to use for His message to go forth through people who have been changed by that Gospel and cherish that Gospel and treasure that Gospel. That's the way God is going to spread it. And I believe that we need to stoke that joy, that ministry. We've talked about the reason we're in Philippians. The reason we spent time in Philippians is because it ought to ultimately produce joy in our lives. Does that mean we don't have difficulty? Does that mean there's not hardship? Is that a flippant, trite joy? No. But there needs to be a deep, settled joy in our heart. We need to know what it is to enjoy God. That's another way to say it. We're people who've come to enjoy Him. And when you enjoy something, there's a spillover effect. And as you do that, others begin to take notice of that. They begin to wonder about that. They begin to be inquisitive about that. It's one of the means by which God begins to stir hearts and stir people. It's His means of doing that. So that they in turn then can see and savor and proclaim. Now, where does seeing come from? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Again, we've talked about this passage. But it's rooted in Scripture. This statement is not something we made up. It's rooted in those two passages. Listen to what it says again. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. And then it tells why they're perishing. In their case, the God of this world has done something. He has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The reason people don't run to Christ and run away from Him, and run away from God, is they're not seeing something. And what they're not seeing has been blinded from their eyes. And and here's what it says. He has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing this. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what they don't see. And a better way to say that, if you skip down to the end of that paragraph... He just reiterates the same thing he just said. If that's confusing what it means when it says the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, a more succinct way he says that is down at the bottom where he says, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's what they don't see. They don't see the glory of God or the beauty of God And where that beauty is most seen is in the face of Christ. That's why God came. To show us the dimension of His beauty. And we see it most fully in Christ. The full picture starts to be seen when we see the glory or the beauty of God in the face of Christ. That's why we want to magnify Christ. That's why we want to, as, as, as best we can, magnify Him by knowing what He's done, but cherishing it in our hearts. Cherishing it to the point where we trust Him. Where we, we show the world that we trust Him. That He's a trustworthy God. All of that has to do with that magnifying of Him that we show Him 
for who he is. If you go back to the passage in Philippians, one of the things Paul says, my, my, my hope and my prayer is that I will no way be ashamed. He has a fear of being ashamed of something. And, and what does he have a fear of being ashamed of? He has a fear of being ashamed that he did not properly magnify Christ. Now, now think about that a minute. What causes shame in our life? You think back in your life at a time, I think when I was young, I've told the story of calling the fire department to a charcoal grill fire. I don't think I've ever in all of my life felt more shame than I felt as I had to walk across that parking lot um, where I worked in that grocery store out to tell the fire chief when there were fire trucks coming from all different directions that I was the fool who called them to the barbecue fire on the step. Barbecue grill poured on the stuff. You know how they used to smoke? Well, by the time the fire trucks came, they couldn't find the smoke. It was gone. But I remember walking out there and the shame I felt. What was that shame rooted in? It was rooted in me. I was ashamed because I wanted them to think much of me. And my shame was rooted in the fact that what it was doing to me. And all afternoon, I got to relive that as people would come into the store and that assistant manager would do it all over again, tell the story all over. And the shame, the shame is because I wanted people to make much of me. And they were making little of me. And that was creating my shame. But in this passage where Paul says that I will in no way be ashamed, it isn't about much of Paul. What he is fearful of is that he will somehow be ashamed because they make little of his Christ and little of his God. He doesn't want to be ashamed that they don't make much of Christ. You see what we want to be about as people at Richland? As we want to be people who who make much of Christ so that others make much of Him. And we don't want to be ashamed. I hope... I hope that there are times in your life, and I say this carefully, I, I, don't, I don't want it to happen, but it will happen at times. I hope there are times in your life where you say something, and as you say it, you realize that didn't give them a very, picture, very good picture of my God. Because you will do that sometimes. I hope it happens less and less. But I hope it isn't about you being the fool and what they think of you. But first of all, the first desire of your heart is what they think of your God. What does that say about my God? What does that say about how trustworthy He is? In whatever circumstance you say. Have you had that happen? Have you ever had in your time, in your life, oh, man, why did I say that? What an awful reflection that is upon my God. You're starting to get it when you start to think that way. When it's not about you and making much of you, but much of Him. That's what we do. Richland exists to make much of Christ and His name and who He is. And that people would see Him for what He is. So that others might see. That's the means by which God uses. Certainly God is at work in all of that. We need to pray that God will open spiritual eyes and all of that. But He has chosen that His people, 
might magnify Christ. How will they hear what it says in Romans unless somebody what? Tells them. But I guarantee you, if all of you do is tell them some intellectual knowledge from your head, it's possible they may come to Christ. Because God will use all means. But it is much more powerful. There is something about you telling them with passion because it has changed you. And you cherish it as well. And they sense that. And that combination is incredibly powerful. Richland exists that He might be magnified, that we might make much of our God by declaring what He's done and prizing what He's done so that others might see, see, come to see. The blinders would come off. That's a, it's a wonderful description. You still, seeing is not in, merely intellectual. Seeing has to do with both seeing intellectually the truth but cherishing the truth. That they would come to cherish it. They would come to see how precious it is. And they would embrace it. They would put the full weight of their hope in Christ. And then they would go from there to savor it. You see, the Christian life is about seeing and seeing the treasure it is and then beginning to savor it. They would see it They would savor it. They would delight in it. They would rejoice in it. They would find their deepest joys in it. They would find their greatest sorrows when it's it's, uh, defamed. That's what it means to savor it. And the best way to savor it is the gospel. That's why we need the gospel at the center. You won't savor it except you continue to hear it. Not the same way always or from the same perspective, but you hear it again and again all throughout Scripture declared it's at the center you're boasting in it and some of us would would say well what does that have to do with with godliness isn't the christian life to be about being conformed to the image of christ yes but how we're conformed to the image of christ is the gospel as we savor the gospel by the gospel we're conformed to the image of christ It's why this morning, it's not an accident that before we took the morning offering, my prayer was that whatever is given in those offering plates flows out of an understanding of the gospel. If it's done out of mere duty, that's not Christianity. Everything needs to have of its fundamental motivation a seeing and a savoring. Christ. That's what the gospel is about. That keeps us from moralism. That keeps us from producing what, what appears on the surface as godliness when it isn't. True godliness, true conformity to the image of Christ can only be produced by God, by the gospel, by what Christ has done for us and will continue to work in us. He who began a good work will bring that work to completion by means of Christ being magnified. And then it finishes that we might see, that we might savor. And thirdly, if that's where it stops, something's wrong. Something's wrong. You, you don't, you're missing something. Because if we really see it, 
and we really savor it, you can't help but proclaim it to somebody else. You talk about the things that are most important in your life. Now, we all have different temperaments, and we do it different ways. But we talk about what is most important in our life. We do. We can't help but do it. It's the overflow of our hearts. It's the overflow of our lives. And so I think the reason we don't proclaim it is we maybe don't see it. It's possible. It's possible to see it, but we just don't savor it enough. We don't feed on it enough. We aren't seeing the true value and the true treasure it is enough. Because when you find a treasure, it changes you. You talk about the treasure. And so all three of those things, I think, are full maturity. We see it, we savor it, and we proclaim it. And you see what that is as a cyclical thing. Can you see the cycle? What does it mean to magnify Christ? It means that you see it. But not just intellectually, you savor it, you delight in it. To magnify Christ most effectively, you see it, you savor it, and the overflow is you proclaim it so that others might see it and savor it and proclaim it. So that others might see it and savor savor it and proclaim it. And it perpetuates itself. That's what the church is about. That's what I believe Richland exists for. That's the passion of my heart. That we will progress in the joy of our faith as we see, savor, and proclaim. And in fact, in fact, if you're here this morning and that proclaiming catches you a bit, let me say to you that you're missing full joy. Because when you begin to share it, when you begin to proclaim it, there's a sense in which your joy is increased. It's increased, maybe doubled. And you that have proclaimed it and have seen somebody else come to see it, you've known one of the deepest joys life can have. So this morning, this morning I say to you, God help us. Help us to keep that clear vision, the cross at the central, that we might see, savor, and proclaim. That others might see, savor, and proclaim. This morning, we're going to close by singing that song that has been at the heart of this whole series in Philippians. All I have is Christ. I was on a hell-bound race, but Christ intercepted me. He caused me to see Christ. I pray that's the case for you. I pray that God helps us to see more and more for the sake of those around us. Let's pray together. Father, help us this morning. Help us. Help us to see, to savor. Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord, and we sing to that end. Amen. Stand with me and sing, will you? I once was lost in darkest night.
around us that promise joy. Help us, Father, to not be easily satisfied. Let us look to You as our deepest and most profound joy. Let us savor You and treasure You in ways and dimensions, Lord, that just cause you to look to a world around us as magnificent as you are. 
Lord, I believe that's the means by which You have chosen to bring a world out of sin, a world that's turning to those lesser joys all over the place. Help us, Father, to be that church. Help us to keep that at the forefront of all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you. You're dismissed this morning.